Blog Talk Radio. fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can hit us up here in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. You can hit us up on Twitter at go4gan. Great show lined up for you today. Expect it to be joined by Hall of Famer Willie Rose. We're going to get Willie Rose's take on the flake gate in the whole situation with the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. We're going to get Willie's take on that. Also, one of the stars of BET's hit series, The Game, Barry Floyd will be joining us. He's a friend to the show. We're going to get his thoughts on the game, get his thoughts on that actual game going on the football field, his thoughts on Gate. Also, one of the stars of the Seahawks' big victory over the Green Bay Packers last Sunday, Gary Gilliam, will be joining us. Gary's going to give his thoughts on his touchdown, his play, and the upcoming Super Bowl. I mean, can you believe it? it no one, not many, heard of Gary Gilliam before what he did before Sunday. No one. But we're going to talk to him. And also... Also, new WBC heavyweight champion of the world, Deontay Wilder will be joining us. We're going to get Deontay's take on on being the next big thing, possibly. He could be the next great heavyweight champion. We haven't seen a heavyweight champion from America since Shannon Briggs. It's been a long time. What's that, 2007? Been a long time. So great show lined up for you today. Let's get right down to it. Deflate Gate. <clears throat> Everybody's been talking about it. And if you don't know what's going on with Deflate Gate, it's time for you to get up from under your rug. I mean, it's been crazy. First and foremost, I mean, to me, Belichick, Brady, both up there on the podium, to me, both look uncomfortable. To me, both are lying, not telling the truth. And as far as I'm concerned, based off of past history, the Patriots don't get a benefit of the doubt here in this particular situation, at least not for me. I, I don't give them the benefit of the doubt because we saw the whole situation with Spygate and what transpired there. We know that. I mean, we've we seen what some of the things they've done with the injury list. I mean, we, we, the Patriots are known for bending, if not breaking, the rules. And you look at the New England Patriots, you look at Bill Belichick, he said he's never heard about footballs and the size of them and things of that nature. I haven't either. But I'm not Bill Belichick. I'm not a three-time Super Bowl winner. I'm not a coach who's about to coach my sixth Super Bowl. I'm not a coach who's a, a dictator, who knows all. 
and who will do anything to try to find a competitive advantage. I'm not that guy. I'm not. But I look at Bill Belichick. I look at Tom Brady. Both were not comfortable up there. I look at Bill Belichick. I look at Tom Brady. Both are just not telling the truth. I, I, I don't. 11 of the 12 footballs were deflated by two pounds. The, it has to be between 12 and a half to 13 and a half. Those ball was, balls were deflated two pounds. 11 of the 12 footballs. And, you know, it's crazy. None of us have probably been talking about footballs the way we've been talking about footballs in terms of weight, regulation, size, and things of that nature. None of us. The chain of command, none of us. But we're talking about it now. And how fitting is the Patriots or the team that we're talking about with this whole situation? I, here's the thing. You know, Dwayne Allen came out with a tweet, said it wouldn't have mattered. Mike Adams of the Colts came out and said it wouldn't have mattered. And it's true. It wouldn't have mattered. Because according to the league, league made a statement today. They are investigated, investigating this whole situation. They've talked to 40 people. Um, basically, the balls were found to be uh, below the necessary limit at halftime. They brought, they reinflated the footballs and they brought them back out. Reality is, it was 17 to seven at halftime. So, with the underinflated balls, the Colts were down 10. When the balls were inflated to proper limits, well, the Colts ended up losing 45 to seven. So. Uh, in that particular situation, that particular game, it doesn't matter. And I think if you're in a lot of culture coming out and saying that, and, and as far as I'm concerned, what else can they say? Because it's the truth. It doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. And, you know, it, it, you look at the game. I mean, let's, let's look at some of the numbers in this game. I mean, in the end, it doesn't really matter. New England ran the ball for 177 yards. I mean, so they, they dominated the ground game. And so the reality is they would have won that game regardless. Now, the game was closer, and, and you just say the Patriots scored the majority of their points in the first half. Second half, they don't score a lot of their points. Then we, I guess we have somewhat of an argument. But at the end of the day, there is an argument because the Patriots, in some respect, are bending the rules. Not some respect, they're bending the rules. Broke the rules. And Roger Goodell told the Saints, ignorance is no excuse. So I have to say to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, to quote your commissioner, Roger Goodell, ignorance is no excuse. And as far as I'm concerned, if, if we find out, and, and first of all, before we all find out, I believe that this investigation should be done thoroughly. I believe this investigation should take some time. I mean, We've seen investigations when it comes to the NFL. We've seen uh, Bounty Gate. We've seen Ray Rice. We've seen some shoddy investigations when it comes to the National Football League. We've seen some jumping to conclusions. So with that being said, my advice to the league, take your time. It may have to work come after the Super Bowl. I'm cool with that. Take your time. Let's thoroughly examine this. 
let 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 let's go through this thoroughly. Let let's make this comprehensive. Let's make this so that there are no any type of questions. Obviously, there's going to be questions, but let's make this a thorough investigation. And hopefully, we can come up with the answers of what happened. So hopefully, we can we can we can have the answers about what truly happened. And you got quarterbacks coming out, Mark Brunel who was pretty much crying on air yesterday and talking about the situation and saying Tom Brady was not telling the truth. And here's the thing. Did we expect Bill Belichick and Tom Brady to go up there and say, yes, it was part of our plan to deflate footballs so we could have a competitive advantage? Did you expect them to say that? No one expected that. No one expected the Patriots to go out there and say, to tell the truth. Even if it's the truth. But no one expected them to say that they did it. No. That doesn't make sense. So, Mark Brunel darn near crying on the air yesterday and talking about it, saying he doesn't believe Tom Brady. Quote, I did not believe what Tom Brady had to say. Quote, those balls were deflated. Someone had to do it. And I don't believe there's an equipment manager in the NFL who would, on his own initiative, deflate a ball without the starting quarterback's approval. Those are words of Mark Brunel. He knows a little bit about quarterbacking in this league. Tom Brady, I mean, excuse me, Troy Aikman. It's obvious that Tom Brady has something to do with this. Those are the words of Troy Aikman. He's quarterbacked a lot of games in this league and won a lot of Super Bowls in this league. But let's, give, let's bring in a guy now who's, who's done a lot in this league, done a lot in his career, and we're going to get his opinion on this. Let's bring him in now. The false prophet himself who said that the Packers were going to beat the Seattle Seahawks, the one, the only, Willie Rose. Willie. Oh, 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 the false prophet. You thought it was, you said it was going to be a blowout, Paul. I told you the Green Bay was coming up there to whoop them, and they did it for three and a half quarters and give, it, give the game away. With four minutes left, they gave the game away, Paul. They dominated. They dominated the Seattle Seahawks the entire game. Willie, uh, before you talk anymore, this is what you said last week. You are taking the Green Bay Packers. I would love to bet a steak dinner that that's not going to happen. That the Green Bay Packers are not going to Seattle to beat the uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Done. The bet. A good steak dinner from a good steakhouse. For so sure. your words last week. A good steak dinner from a good steakhouse. <laughs> That's what you I said. I did say that. I did say that. <laughs> Before well, we get to uh, uh, was Green Bay dominating the football game? Green Bay dominated the football game. Green Bay did everything but win <laughs> at the end of the day. They did everything but win. Okay. Let's get right down to this whole deflate gate situation. Uh, uh, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, we all know the story. The balls of, uh, apparently were, were deflated by two pounds uh, in the first half against the 
uh, Indianapolis Colts. We look at the particular football game. It was 17 to seven in that first half. The balls eventually were reinflated, and ultimately the, uh, the Patriots won 45 to seven. But that, that, that's really not important at this point in time. Let me ask you this: What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Well, obviously they didn't need to do it because they, when they inflated the ball, they all scored them 28 to whatever 10 or three. I mean, I don't understand why would you even do that, but. Now, Jerome Bettis did make a great point. If you're going to worry about the bad weather, and we knew that Indy wasn't going to run the ball and pass the ball, then it helps It helps for you in the running game, maybe more so than the passing game, because he said he could grip it better, you can lock it under your arm better, and it's harder to get out. So in the weather conditions, I think it was more important for them as far as the running game was concerned then the passing game was concerned for what they were able to do in the running game. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I guess there, there is advantages to it because, if, obviously, if there was no advantages to it, it wouldn't have been done. You know what I mean? There are some advantages to it. But let me ask you this. As you, as you watch Belichick, as you watch Brady, to me, I didn't believe them. To me, they both seem uncomfortable up there. I didn't think they were telling the truth. Did you, did you believe them? No, I didn't believe him, but, but, but this is my point. If you are, you know, if you're going to do stuff like that, you know, it, it's got to come out. I mean, they get an interception, they take it over to the other sideline, and they figure it out. That just tells me, don't do any of this nitpicky, trying to take advantage stuff anymore. It doesn't make any sense. You're right. too good a coach. You're too good a football team. Tom Brady's too good a player to have to defend the ball. They're too good. So why even do that? You know, to, to take away from what, everything that you've been doing on the field, I mean, it's, it's always something, you know, just like he said, he makes some practice with bad balls, okay, or whatever. And remember, before it used to be the field, before they put that field turn down there, everybody complained, complained about the field conditions. So, I mean, it's just oh, it's always something, you know, that's, that's not on the up and up that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing. I mean, it's just, it, like you said, it didn't really make any sense in that particular game for you to have to do anything because you were that much better than the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. And quite frankly, in a regular season, you were that much better than the Indianapolis Colts. If you're going to deflate some footballs, maybe, obviously it's a lot more difficult to do in the Super Bowl, but if you're going to do something like that, maybe you wouldn't try in the Super Bowl against a team that, you know, that is a 50-50 game against the Seattle Seahawks. So to your point, I mean, it. You're too good to be doing those type of things, and uh, I mean, we'll see how this whole thing uh, shakes out. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that the league comes back and says Tom Brady, Bill Belichick conspired along with the uh, the equipment managers and everybody to deflate those footballs. What is the appropriate penalty for Brady and Belichick? For me, Belichick a year, Brady four to eight games. Your thoughts? You think they're gonna put Belichick out the league for a year for defending the football? I'm I'm basing it off the whole that's situation that's with, with Spygate. Well, I mean, if you go by the track history, if you go by the history of right. what he's done, yeah, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, a year for defending the football. He's trying to gain a competitive advantage. You got guys like Chris Canty who believes that this is akin to PED usage in the NFL. Got, you know, no, I'm not going to gonna say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I, don't no, know. I mean, no. that might be a little bit of a stretch. But 
at the end of the day, you did try to gain a competitive advantage. You did essentially cheat. And this is the second time that we've caught Bill Belichick doing something Tom, illegal Tom, to gain Tom, a competitive Tom Brady, advantage. Two, three, two, Tom Brady, maybe two or three games, Belichick, uh, six games at the most. Okay, but let me ask you this. If, we're yeah, yeah, yeah. if they do that, if they do that, if, right. if they do that. Right, and, and as we know, we all know that uh, Goodell and, and Bob Kraft have a relationship, so that that could change some things. But even, and Troy Aikman brought this up, and I think it's a great point. If you're going to give guys like Sean Payton and, 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 and the GM at the time and, and Greg Williams, if you're going to give those guys, you gave Sean Payton a year, you gave Greg Williams an indefinite suspension, you gave the GM about eight games as well. If you're going to give the Saints and Bounty Gate and that whole situation, which really did not give the Saints a competitive advantage, if you're going to give those guys all that time for this, for that I should say, don't you think you should give a lot of time for this? I mean, if you just want to send a message to, if you're going to send another message that we're not going to tolerate it, then yes. I mean, you know, he's going to have to send a message and finding somebody that's a billionaire, a million or two million dollars in anything. So right. you find them, whatever you're going to find them, it's not going to hurt Rob Kraft or the Patriots. So suspending Belichick for a period of time will hurt them next year. That right. will hurt the team. If you take a draw pick. That says the more message to me also. Take a right. first round pick or take a couple picks, then you send a message that way also. So a first rounder, 16 games for Belichick, let's say four games for Brady, if they all find out to be true. And maybe Brady doesn't get a suspension because you're figuring first-time offender in a lot of ways. But Belichick, this is the second time around, second go-around in terms of trying to gain a competitive advantage. We're talking the Hall of Famer, Willie Rowe. Willie, let me ask you this. And, and to me, this doesn't affect the way I, how I look at Bill Belichick, doesn't affect the way I look at Tom Brady. Does this affect their legacy to you? Well, not, no, I think their legacy is already affected by the Spike and stuff. People are already going to form their opinions of them. But at the end of the day, they're still the best quarterback-coach combo in the history of the league. So you can say, say what you want to say about him. They've been the best quarterback. If you look at Paul, you tell me if I'm correct, winning percentage, not Super Bowls, but right. winning percentage, they've been right. the best quarterback, coach, tandem in the history of the NFL. And if they win the Super Bowl this year, I have to put Tom Brady in the conversation with a Joe Montana or with those other guys because he'll be 4 and 2. 4 wins, 2 losses, but 6 Super Bowls. 6 Super Bowls. So anytime you got a coach to the player, could have been the six Super Bowls together, you know, and if they went fair, then I have to put them in a the conversation with the greatest coaching quarterback of all time. For sure. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. Willie, let's go to what we saw on Sunday with the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it was 19-7. to Morgan Burnett had an interception. Actually, Julius Peppers told him to go down. If he doesn't go down, there's film that shows that this guy had a lot of room to run and could have still been running, if, you know, if, if uh, Peppers doesn't tell him to go down. But 19-7, to at that point, Green Bay with the ball in complete control. At that point, you knew that, and we all thought that the game was over. But have you ever seen a crazier ending to a football game? I don't think I have. I mean, I mean, I mean, the onside kick, yes. 
the 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 two point conversion when he throws the ball across his body, and you let the guy catch the ball. I mean, that, I mean, you just that 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 thing right there was the ball game. When right. you let the guy throw a two point conversion across his body and let him catch the ball. I mean, my guy. I mean, wait, 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 come on, what are you doing out there? <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was a it was a hell mary type of situation, and uh, you know he, he out jumped him. Wilson, tight end Wilson, out jumped. Well, Clinton Dix didn't even jump. He was just out of position, crazy out of position. Jump, the ball yeah, should have been called. He didn't even jump. Let me ask you this: We 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 you, you look at the. I mean, let me. Had there ever been a loss similar to what the Packers experienced for you? Have you ever experienced a loss like that? We lost. We lost a game in New Orleans, and then we got beat with Hail Mary to beat us in the end zone at the end of the game. A Hail Mary pass. That's about the way. I mean, but that's a Hail Mary at the last play of the game to beat us. Yes, I've lost like that. But not letting the team score that many touchdowns to come back with that from that from from how many points they were down in the fourth quarter to come back. No, that does not happen too often. You don't let somebody come back and beat you. When you're up on them with that time left in the game, and they got to score after two touchdowns to come back. <laughs> and the thing is, there was a stat they showed that Aaron Rodgers was 41 when when the team when he's up 16 to nothing or more. Well, he's up by 16 points or more. It's 40 and one, 40 and one. I mean, so you know, <laughs> it, it it was improbable that it happened. I mean, it was just the the, the craziest game that you'll ever see. What's that game say about the Seahawks and Russell Wilson? Uh, resilience. I mean, the resilience Russell Wilson has, he wasn't playing good. He got popped early in the game. Probably should have left the game. The shot he took from Clay Matthews, he was probably seeing cobwebs, and, 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 and he stayed in that game, and they didn't evaluate him, Paul. We're not even talking about that. He didn't get the evaluation when he got hit by Clay Matthews, and by the time he got going again, that's probably how long it took the Cowboys to clear out of his head. That I mean, on the surface, if you look at that hit, you would think somebody would walk away with a concussion. I mean, especially the way he fell. You know, you would think he would have a concussion on some level, but, I mean, it wasn't checked, and we move forward. But, I mean, you look at even Richard Sherman with his elbow and everything. I mean, you could argue he probably should have yeah, I mean, that's another thing, Paul. What, well, you should have been cleaning it out and throwing right at Richard Sherman or uh, making him do something. You know what I mean? The guy out there playing on the one-off, on one and then you got the uh, the safety, uh, you know, dislocated his shoulder. Uh, oh, Thomas. Oh, uh, uh, Thomas, dislocated his shoulder. I mean, I mean, you yeah, on and on and on, how they pulled that game out. That, I think that's, you know, the greatest playoff come, you know, comeback. If not in, in, in NFL history, the only one with more points I can look at in a playoff game. I don't know if it was the AFC Championship game was when uh, Houston went up to Buffalo and let Buffalo come back and beat them. I think that yes. was the AFC Championship game in '92. No, they wow. came back like 30 something down and won yeah, the game. And, and, uh, Buffalo came back at home, but uh, you know I have to put it right up there with that game. And that game was more just the way they were being dominated. I mean, it was just incredible. Yeah, and that was a wild card game. It was a 35 to three, and then Buffalo came back and ultimately won that particular football game. I mean, you know, obviously the Super Bowl is a week away, and we're we've been caught up in talking about deflated footballs and things of that nature. 
as I look at this particular football game right now, I don't know which way to go because I, I, I think the flake gate actually helps the Patriots in a way because I think it motivates them to prove that they don't need a deflated football to win the Super Bowl. So I think that kind of that's a motivation for the New England Patriots. But then I look at the Seahawks and I look at a team, the way they won that particular football game, you get the sense that destiny could be on the side of the Seahawks. I mean, obviously I'm not asking for a pick because I don't have a pick at this point in time. But as we go into the Super Bowl, what are you looking for? What are some of the things you're looking for? And what do you expect to happen maybe on some level? Uh, you know, I expect it to be a very competitive game. Uh, I don't think Seattle's going to be the slow, uh, going to be able to do the same thing with Tom Brady that they were able to do with um, with, uh, with with um, with Peyton Manning last time. I think Bill Belichick will come up with a game plan. I think they're going to put Richard Sherman in motion, move him around, make him move because he's still going to be hurt. Earl Thomas has got to separate his shoulder. Um, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, I mean, the way Green Bay slowed them down, I just think um, the Patriots are going to be too much for them in this game uh, if they come out and play and they set the tone and do what they got to do. I'm going to tell you this. If the Patriots get up on them, they will not come back on the Patriots like they did the Green Bay Packers. That's not going to happen. So I will say this, that I think Belichick is going to come up with a game plan. I think it's going to be a close football game. But I see Tom Brady getting his fourth Super Bowl title. Uh, next week. So you're you're at this point. You're ready to pick. You're ready to go with uh, New England at I'm this point. Tom, I'm picking New England to win this. Okay. New England got beat. New England got beat the last two. They're winning this one. They okay. got beat by the Giants the last two. They've lost two and won three before that. New England is not winning, losing three Super Bowls in a row. I do okay. not see that happen. Let me ask. Let me say this to you. And, 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 I, and, and I'm also looking at the injuries, which is Sherman's hurt. Oh, Thomas had to separate his shoulder. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the injuries to the secondary. They're not going to be – they're going to play, but they're not going to be as effective. And it's going. And we're not going to have the weather conditions indoors. you got Edelman. you got those other guys they got to cover. Tom Brady's going to spread that ball around. you got uh, Gronkowski. you got to put Chandler or something, put somebody on him. Richard Simmons always going to cover, cover Edelman. So, you know – and, and, I mean, it, it's just going – the only way that, that Seattle wins that game is the same thing that happened with the Giants. The only way Seattle has a chance to win that game is if they dominate up front because the, ultimately the Giants dominated the New England Patriots up front in that game uh, uh, straight away last year. Yep. And that helped them win that game. And they made, they made a couple of key plays late, but they dominated the offensive line of scrimmage in that Super Bowl. So Seattle's going to win that game. They're going to have to get pressure and dominate up front. If they don't get to Tom Brady, they will not win the game. And here's what I'll say to you, and I think that's a great point, because in the future, like in the past, we saw the Giants, we saw the Ravens have a level of success against the Patriots, and it seems like those defenses with decent front fours and decent uh, guys who are able to get after the quarterback, they seem to disrupt the rhythm of the New England Patriots. We'll see if that happens this time around. It should be very, very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward well, to you, it. You, you, you want to double in after that steak dinner? You want to go to Seattle? <laughs> let me think about it. <laughs> let me think about it. I'll let you think about it. Let me think about that one. <laughs> I'll 
bit, Willie, before we get out of here, uh, let me just ask you this. I know you're an Arkansas guy. We saw the whole situation with Jermaine Taylor and some of the unfortunate situations with him. Ultimately, he's going back to jail. You, you went into the Arkansas Hall of Fame with Jermaine Taylor. As, as you see some of the videos, as you see some of the behaviors, I, I mean, how does that make you feel? I mean, it, it's got to you know, sadden a little my dad, bit. You know what? My dad said we got to pray for him. We got to pray for him. Obviously, we know that Jermaine Taylor had some type of bleeding, bleeding in the brain incident that happened in the fight prior to him uh, them allowing him to fight again. So you know, let, let's let's pray for him. I'll be in Arkansas next week after the Super Bowl, and um, uh, hopefully he gets some help and uh, he for figures sure. out what's going on. But uh, very sad to see Jermaine Taylor, who I've always known as a mild-mannered guy, very reserved man. I always um, represented Arkansas with the utmost, uh, you know, every time you saw him in public and, he, you know, people were looking up to Jermaine Taylor, they have been. So I think right now people are, are praying for Jermaine, and I think they understand that there's something going on with him that's a little bit out of his control. So I think right now people are kind of looking at him like they're giving him a pass as far as, you know, in his mental state. So, you know, let's pray for him and uh, hope he gets better. Well said, Willie. Pleasure talking to you, man. Before you get out of here, let me let me let me let you hear this one more time. You are time. taking the Green Bay Packers. I would love to bet a steak dinner that that's not going to happen. That the Green Bay Packers are not going into Seattle to beat the uh, the Seattle Seahawks. I Done. Is that a good steak dinner from a good steakhouse? For sure. <laughs> Willie, a yeah. pleasure, man. All right, nice talking to you. Take care. All in favor, Willie Rofe. Uh, he loves steak dinners. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and we better steak dinner. And so, you know, I knew that Seattle Seahawks were going to win. I didn't expect them to win the way they won. I mean, I expect them to blow them out. But uh, pleasure talking to Willie Rofe. <clears throat> I'm going to switch gears for a moment. I mean, I'll, I'll get back to uh, this whole situation, to flake gate, if you will. But the sport of boxing, and, you know, we, we've been talking about Mayweather, Pacquiao, and the possibilities of what may, what may be. I mean, you know, apparently Pacquiao signed off, and, 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 and Mayweather at this point was, was looking at the details, and they were still negotiating. And I, you don't know what you hear. I mean, you hear various things. You have Alex Ariza conditioning coach, former conditioning coach for Pacquiao, now on the money team, doing some things for the money team, him saying that, you know, the fight's not going to happen, it's not going to happen because of Bob Arum, and Bob Arum needs to get out of the way, and so on and so forth. I mean, at, at, at some point, and, and, and Floyd Mayweather apparently tweeted out that, you know, he, he basically supporting what Alex Ariza said, and there were some people coming at Floyd Mayweather at that point in time talking about, boycott Floyd Mayweather, and things of that nature. Here's the thing. The public wants this fight Mayweather-Pacquiao. That's what the public wants to see. There's a reason Floyd's pay-per-view numbers are down, and there's a reason that Pacquiao pay-per-view numbers are down. Floyd's didn't go down as much as Pacquiao's, but the reality is people were tired of mayweather Maidana. Mayweather thinking about fighting Khan, Pacquiao Algeri, Pacquiao Bradley. People are tired of that. 
They're tired of, of, of that. They don't want that any longer. And, and, that, and in some respect, they're, they're saying that by the pay-per-view numbers of both of the guys. They're saying that. So the reality is that the fight is at a high demand. The fight is at a high demand. It's at a high demand because of the whole – because Algeri gets beat up by Pacquiao, and then Mayweather, he continues to stay undefeated. They're both continuing to win. Pacquiao had the loss to Marquez, but he's come back, beat Rios, beat, beat Bradley, excuse me, and beat Algeri. So now Pacquiao has won and got back on the good foot. Mayweather is winning and has stayed on the good foot. So now this is the perfect time for a collision course. This is the perfect time for this fight to be made. It's time. It's a, it's a few years too it's a few years long. I wouldn't say a few years too late, but it's been a long time. It's time for them to collide. It's time for Pacquiao Mayweather. It's time. So Floyd, do what you do. Pacquiao, do what you do. Bob Arum, Al Heyman, uh, CBS, Steven Espinosa, let's move as, let's come together and get this fight made. Let's come together and get this fight made because it's time. We, we've seen it. We've, we've, we've waited oh so long for this fight. And I hope that this fight can get done. Let's hope. But I'm not. I'm not holding my breath because I'll probably be dead. Because I'm not holding my breath. But I think if a fight is going to be made May 2nd between those two, wouldn't you think Super Bowl weekend would be the perfect opportunity? Super Bowl week would be the perfect opportunity to talk about it, to unveil it, to promote it. This fight doesn't need much promoting. It's promoted. It, it, it's promoted. All they got to do is step into the ring of fight. This fight is promoted. And this would be the fight that we have all wanted. The fight that we all wanted. So we'll see. We'll see if it gets done. But last week in Vegas, we saw a guy, a heavyweight, an American heavyweight, Deontay Wilder, a guy who's brash, a guy who talks a lot, a guy who has a great personality, a guy who has power, a guy who was big. We saw him get it done against Berman Stavern last weekend in Las Vegas. And the thing about this particular fight, this was a fight that, you know, a lot of people wanted to see. A lot of people had questions. Could Deontay Wilder? Could he could he go some rounds with a heavy with a, with a legitimate heavyweight? Could Deontay Wilder withstand the blows of a guy with power in Berman Severn? Could he do all those things and still come out on top? Could he do it? Well, I think he proved it all. I think he proved it. I, I think he most definitely proved it to a lot of people last Saturday night at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. An impressive showing by Deontay Wilder. He beat Berman Stavern and beat him good. He handily beat him. 
It had him in trouble in the second, had him in trouble in the seventh. Couldn't dispose of Stiburn, who was, who has a big-time chin. But he, he definitely won the fight. And at this point, he's definitely going to be talked about. And then you have the whole situation now with Al Heyman and the deal he has with NBC Sports and the deal to have boxing back on free TV, if you will. And now that boxing is going to be back on free TV, it's a great opportunity to show the talents of some of these fighters and to, to ultimately, you know, get the sport back and talked about, get the sport talked about and get the sport, you know, take the sport from a niche sport, if you will, at this point in time, that's what it is, to a big-time sport that is talked about. And one way to do it is by an American heavyweight. If the heavyweight division is healthy, the sport of boxing is healthy, and we'll see with Deontay Wilder moving forward if he is, in fact, the future of the heavyweight division, if he, in fact, is the next big thing. That we'll see. Let's go to the NBA now and Kobe Bryant. Um, <laughs> you feel bad for Kobe Bryant. You know, he has a torn rotator cuff. More than likely, he's going to be out for the season. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, to be honest with you. I mean, you feel bad for him, but it's not a bad thing that he's out for the season. Because in a lot of ways, him playing this year, him him, him playing, getting out there, going out there, it, it, it's it's not making much of a difference for the Lakers. They're, they're, they're not a good basketball team. They weren't a good basketball team with Kobe, and they're not a good basketball team without Kobe. So it, it's really not a good situation in L.A. for the Lakers. So Kobe Bryant's out for the year. He's done, gone. And the reality is the, he, the Lakers, they, Magic Johnson said it best, they need to lose each and every basketball game. And they, they, they should root. I mean, if you're a Lakers fan, you shouldn't root for the Lakers to win. You should root for the Lakers to lose. You should never root for the Lakers to win. You should hope that they get that top five pick. Because if it's not in that top five, guess what? That pick will go to the Phoenix Suns. So at this point in time, we look at the teams around the league and, you know, some of the worst records in the league. New York has the worst. Philly is next. New York at 7-36. Philly at 8-34. Minnesota at 7-34. Then comes the Lakers in the fourth spot. The Lakers are in the fourth spot, the fourth worst record, at 12 and 31. That's a perfect spot to be in if you're a Los Angeles Lakers fan. Perfect spot to be in. Perfect to be in that particular spot. Perfect. Because you, actually, if you're the Lakers, and and it might happen after a loss of Kobe, you want to go lower. You want to go lower. And, I mean, you you know, it's, it's sad to see a guy with the, the, the greatness of Kobe Bryant and, and to see him, you know, break down the way he has with, with the Achilles and the knee and now the shoulder. I mean, it's difficult to watch. It's difficult to see, but it all tells you all we need to know about Father Time. Father Time doesn't lose to anyone. Father Time wins. All the time, as I've said it in the past. And Father Time is winning this battle 
against Kobe Bryant. And it's okay. It's okay. Because you, no one has beaten Father Time. So it makes Kobe Bryant any different. But it, it, it's tough. I mean, you know, it, it, they tried resting him throughout the course of this season, tried giving him the necessary rest to ultimately put him in position to be healthy for points at the time, at, for points of the year. You, you wanted to keep him healthy. You, you wanted to do the things necessary to try to keep him healthy. And in a lot of ways, it's just not working. And I don't say it's not working. I've been busy, played 19 years in this league. You play 19 years in this league, I mean, you're, those nicks and those bumps and those bruises, ultimately they accumulate. And they accumulate to things like Achilles and shoulders and knees and head, shoulders, knees, and toes. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation when it comes to father time. Father time wins all the time. But Kobe, probably going to be out for the year. He'll come back for his 20th season. You know, a lot of people think it's still going to be viable for the Lakers, who will have cap space in this offseason, to, to be able to bring in free agents and, and, and players to surround Kobe and ultimately – to, to bring the Lakers back. I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess. But didn't we think the Lakers would – didn't the Lakers have cap space in this offseason? And what happened to the Lakers? Who did they get? Who did they grab? They grabbed nobody. They, they, they missed out on each and every free agent. They did, call, they, they did get Carlos Boozer, if that counts. But they, they missed out on each and every free agent. They missed out. And so now the Lakers, moving forward, they're a team that they're a team in the state of transition. And they need to hope they need to hope that they continue to lose. They need to hope that they continue to lose and continue to, to be in a position where they can get that spot, that, that, that spot that will get them their lottery pick and let them keep their lottery pick. And so we'll see what happens. And, and we'll see what happens moving forward with the Lakers. But I, I just hate to see guys like Kobe Bryant go down and, 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 and struggle. It was like Michael Jordan near the end of his run. And and how he was, he just broke down with the the knee and and everything. I mean, it was just it was difficult to watch. It's difficult to see, but it's just the reality of of, of basketball and reality of, of sports in general. If you stick around long enough, eventually, Father Time is going to get the best of you. That's just the way it goes. And, and so, Kobe Bryant, as great as he has been, as good as he has been great as he has been, and as good as he has been this season. You can't be father time. You lose all the time. And But at the end of the day, I hope Kobe comes back. I hope he comes back with a vengeance. And I hope that his career will be uh, – I think I hope he goes out on a good note. I don't know if he'll go out on an NBA title, but I hope he goes out on a good note. We shall see. Sticking, and, and, and speaking of the NBA, we're going to stick – right there in the National Basketball Association. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, you know, with the, the Atlanta Hawks, every time, I mean, we've, I, I've watched the Hawks throughout the course 
of the season. Watched them um, a few times this week. And one thing I will say, and, and, and I marvel about this basketball team, first and foremost, everybody gets involved. Everybody's involved. Everybody getting in touch. Everybody is putting put in an, put in a, a position to score the basketball. Everybody. And I look at this Atlanta Hawks team. To me, yes, they're 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 making things happen on the offensive side of the uh, basketball court and making plays and, and, and getting everybody involved and hitting the three-point shot. And, you know, they're second in assist per game, so everybody is involved. They're doing that. But another thing that they're doing that I think gets lost on people is defend. They defend. And, and whether it's driving lanes, they defend. And, and they're, they're defending. They're, they're getting out on passing. Like I said driving lanes, but passing lanes. They're getting in passing lanes. They're getting steals. They're keeping guys in front of them, and they're holding teams down. And throughout the course of this winning streak, this long, impressive winning streak for the Atlanta Hawks, they've been some pretty good teams along the way. I mean, it's, it's been a, a, a very good winning streak, a very good winning streak. And the thing about it is, and that's at 14, 14-game win streak. Throughout the course of this 14-game win streak, they beat uh, Cleveland. I believe that was out without LeBron. That was without LeBron. But they beat Portland. They beat the Clippers in L.A. They beat Portland in Portland. They beat Memphis in Memphis. They beat Detroit, who was on a seven-game win streak at the time in Detroit. They beat the the Wizards. In, well, it was a home game, but they beat them on 31. Beat Philly, who cares? But they beat Toronto at Toronto by 21. Beat Chicago in Chicago by 8. And we all know Chicago's had some issues at home, but they beat them. And, you know, so this winning streak has had some good basketball teams. You're talking about the who's who's in the Western Conference in Portland and, and L.A. and Memphis. And those were a period of four days. 3rd to 5th and the 7th of January, where they've beaten those basketball teams, Portland, L.A., and Memphis. So you've got to give the Clippers, I mean, excuse me, the Grizzlies, not the Grizzlies, the Hawks, a lot of credit. You've got to give them a lot of credit because they have beaten some good, solid basketball teams. And right now, the Atlanta Hawks have the best record in the Eastern Conference. And if you would have told anybody that the Atlanta Hawks had the best record in the Eastern Conference after 42 games, a lot of people would have told you, you're crazy. And it's, it's going to be interesting tonight. They have OKC tonight in Atlanta. That's going to be interesting to me because you have an OKC team that's battling and fighting for their playoffs lives and, and playing some better basketball. OKC is playing some better basketball right now and, and, and been getting it done. Four in a row for OKC at this point in time, including a, a solid victory in Washington the other night. But they're coming, and they're fighting for their playoff lives. So it should be interesting to see what the Atlanta Hawks look like against the OKC Thunder in Atlanta tonight. We'll see if OKC can, can go in Atlanta and, and, and change some of that mojo that's been going on with those Hawks. Or we'll see if the Hawks can continue 
with their winning ways, and they've been winning, winning good, winning handily, blowing teams out throughout the course of this win streak. Are the Hawks for real? Time will tell. Time will tell. But I will say this. You look at the Eastern Conference, Washington's going to be there. They're going to be a tough out. Toronto going to be a tough out. Um, Chicago's going to be a tough out. And, and Cleveland, they're also going to be tough outs. I mean, they're, they're going to be tough teams. And if the playoffs were to start today, and, you know, obviously people say it all the time, but if the playoffs were to start today, Cleveland and Chicago would play in the first round, and the winner of that would get Atlanta if they were win in the second round. So that would be interesting. That would that, be pretty interesting to see what would happen, what would transpire if that were to happen. But we'll see it's early. It's a lot of basketball to be played, and obviously the Western Conference is just absolutely positively crazy. It's crazy out west. It, 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 it's real out west. doesn't get any realer than what's going on out west and those teams beating up on each other night in and night out. Those teams beating up on each other night in and night out. And so we'll see what happens moving forward. But I'm telling you this, those playoffs are going to be enjoyable. I'm telling you this, these playoffs, they're going to be something to behold. You're going to enjoy them. You're going to like it. You're going to love them. should be very, very exciting. I look at now going back to the NFL. Dequell Jackson. I mean, we, we thought he was the guy that was, in some respect, the whistleblower. Well, he set the record straight. He's at the Pro Bowl in Arizona, soaking up that sun, that Arizona sun, having himself a good old time, enjoying himself. He didn't, probably doesn't want to be there from the standpoint because he wanted to be playing in the Super Bowl. But anyway, it, so he said it wasn't him who raised the concerns about the footballs. He said, quote, I'm a linebacker, I'm a defensive guy. If anybody recognized anything, definitely it wouldn't come from me. And, you know, the question was asked, well, if that's the case, how did the NFL, uh, how, how did the footballs get to the NFL officials? How do they know about them? He said, that's a question that I can't answer. I don't know. Where, where, where is that coming from? Like, you, you, apparently we thought the story was that you were in some respect a whistleblower. And maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Or maybe he doesn't want to be known as the snitch. Because on the street, snitches get stitches. And, and so maybe he didn't want to get stitched up. Maybe he didn't want to get stitched up. Obviously, literally, not literally. Not literally. But anyway, you look at the whole situation. You look at the whole situation. And I, 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 you just, it's, it's amazing. But guys like Matthew Stafford say they don't have a preference. Andy Dalton also say he doesn't have a preference when it comes to footballs and, and their preference on the air pressure and things of that nature. I don't know. I, it's, just a, it's just a crazy story. Who would have known, who ever thought that we would be talking about footballs this close to the Super Bowl? Football pressure and, and the physics and, 
and, and things of that nature. But the Quell Jackson said he is not the whistleblower. He, he, that's not him. He's not the guy. But I want to go to Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman had some interesting comments when it comes to this whole thing. And he said, quote, it's obvious that Tom Brady had something to do with this. He said this in a radio interview the other day in Dallas. He says, quote, Tom, it's obvious Tom Brady had something to do with this. That's what he said. And, you know, he sees it as another black guy for, for the Patriots and everybody else. And he compared it to the Saints scandal, and he talked about Roger Goodell quoting the, the, those infamous quotes that excuse that, that not knowing not knowing is, is not an excuse. If you don't know, it's not an excuse. You need to know. But anyway, quote, there was nothing that Sean Payton and the, Patriots and the Saints did that was illegal, and they did not give themselves a competitive edge. I maintain regardless of whether it was said in the locker room, in that locker room, it's not anything that was that. It's not anything different than what's been said in any other locker room around the league. There's no proof on the field of what took place that guys were targeting players. And, and so, and he went on to say, he talked about, well, he felt like they didn't get a competitive advantage from it anyway, talking about the Saints. So, I mean, those are, are the words of Troy Aikman. But Troy Aikman, you know, he believes that, again, that the penalties should be harsh, that the penalties – should be sincere. Chris Canty, he compared this whole situation to almost PEDs and then guys gaining a competitive advantage with PEDs. You know, he said the Patriots are habitual line steppers. If the allegations are true, then you're talking about attacking the integrity of our game and I have an issue with that. What I'm going to say about the flaying of the football is to me is there's no difference in performance-enhancing drugs. You're cheating at that point. You're getting a competitive advantage outside of the rule book, and there has to be some sort of consequences for that. Those are the words of Chris Canty. I, I, I think maybe that's a little too strong in terms of comparing it to PEDs. The point is taken in terms of there was or they are getting a competitive advantage if Tom Brady is able to throw the football easier. They are gaining a competitive advantage if LeGarrette Blunt is able to run the ball and, and hold on to that football easy, a lot easier than before. They are gaining a competitive advantage. And I don't think anybody can dismiss that, and I don't think anybody can downplay that. But at the same time, is it the end of the world? Probably not. And then would it have made a difference in that game against the Colts? Obviously not. But let's go back to on the football field. Get tired of talking about balls and, 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 and uh, PSIs and things of that nature. Green Bay and Seattle. What we saw on Sunday with the Packers and the Seahawks was absolutely remarkable, absolutely amazing. It was a, a, a sight to behold. To, to see the way that game ended. I mean, 19-7, five minutes to go. Morgan Burnett gets a pick, and they show the high angle. And they showed how much room Morgan Burnett had. I'm not saying he would have scored, but he at least would have put the Packers in field goal range. He would have put them in field goal range for Mason Crosby to put him up 22-7. to 
But it was amazing that Seattle down 19 to 7, and just all the improbables. Gary Gilliam, who's expected to join us in a few minutes. Gary Gilliam, him, and, and catching the touchdown on the fake punt. Though that's the only time, the first time in postseason history that a punter has thrown a touchdown. The first time. The first time. So that is amazing that in the history of this league, the long history of this league, for the first time in the history of this league, of the National Football League that's been around for a long time, for the first time in its postseason's history, the, 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 a, a punter threw a touchdown. And then he threw it to a guy who was a converted tight end. He was a, he's a tackle now, Gary Gilliam, but at one point he was a tight end in college. And he made the catch. It was amazing. It, it was amazing. It's, it, I mean, it was, the play, it was one of the plays of the game. That was a big play. Because if you don't get it, if you get a field goal, you're down still down 16-3, to three, but you do get on the board. But you're, you're, are you really back in it? I think that touchdown tells you, tells the team that you're back in it. And they were back in it after that particular play. An amazing play by Gary Gilliam. Amazing play by John Ryan. An amazing play call by Pete Carroll. I mean, the, the, the guts that it took to, to, to make that play, to make that call, that was gutsy. That was a gutsy play by Pete Carroll. That was a gutsy play call. It really was. And, again, if you walk away with no points at that point in time, you could argue that that's the ball game. That could have been a ball game. But they get the touchdown, and they're right back in it. They're right back in it. But the thing is, even after that touchdown, Russell Wilson still had his struggles. The offense still had his struggles. The defense did their job. I mean, again, you hold Aaron Rodgers under 200 yards. You know, you hold Aaron Rodgers under 200 yards, you're doing your job. You are definitely doing your job. You held him to 189 the first time you, t- you uh, played him, and then you held him to 178 with two picks this time around. So you, you did your job when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. And defensively, they continued to do their job throughout the course of that game. They needed offensive help. And it finally came in the end. Those drives were Marshawn Lynch makes that catch, and ultimately Russell Wilson gets it in on the keeper. And then unthinkable happens. Onside kick, Chris Matthews gets it. The Seahawks are in business again. Russell Wilson with the read option takes it, runs it down, puts the Seahawks in position, and you know ultimately Marshawn Beastmo Lynch 24-yard run out for the touchdown, touches himself afterwards. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess, when it comes to beast mode. But at the end of the day, and then you, it's just a lot of improbables after improbables, the, the catch in the end zone uh, for the two-point conversion, improbable. Just, abs- just a lot of improbables in that game. So many improbables. And, and so the improbables were absolutely amazing. The, the, impro- the improbables, the plays that we saw were absolutely amazing. And I, I didn't – obviously, Luke Wilson 
made that two-point conversion. But obviously, I'm thinking the game is over at 19-7. to I'm thinking the football game is over. I'm thinking the the Green Bay Packers were going to the Super Bowl. I'm thinking, oh, Willie Rowe for steak dinner. That's what I'm thinking at that point in time after Morgan Burnett gets that pick. I'm thinking I'm owing I'm owe somebody a steak dinner. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm thinking that the Seahawks were going home and that the Packers were going to do the, impro- do the improbable, go into Seattle and beat the Seahawks. That's what I was thinking. But, obviously, I was wrong. And a lot of people were wrong. It was improbable how that game ended. It was absolutely amazing. It was incredible. It was something, a, a sight to behold. It was amazing. And you just—it was just amazing because it just seemed like everything somehow, some way, fell into place. Play after play after play, they fell into place, and ultimately, in falling into place, the Seahawks move on. It fell into the lap of Luke Wilson. It's John John Ryan. They fell into the hands of Gary Gilliam. Um, Chris Matthews, the onside kick falls into the hands of Chris Matthews. So it was just amazing. It was truly, truly amazing what we saw Sunday in Seattle. Absolutely amazing. And it's something that will never be forgotten by a lot of those Green Bay Packers players. Those Green Bay Packers players will never forget it. They'll never forget it. They'll never forget it. And you're that close to a Super Bowl. You're that close to a Super Bowl. That close. And you fall short that close to a Super Bowl. I mean, you're that close. That close to a Super Bowl. And you don't put it away. For whatever reason, you don't put it away. And because you don't put it away, you go home. Seattle moves on. Seattle's in the Super Bowl. And the Seattle Seahawks now have an opportunity to win a second Super Bowl in consecutive seasons. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Stunning. That's what it is. Stunning. But it was great. It was absolutely great. And and I can't wait to talk about it with Gary Gilliam when we come back. Well, actually, let me do this. The second hour of Go For It starts right now. Go for it. Starting right now. Having some technical difficulties. Hold the line. Having some technical difficulties. Hello and welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had... Some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but that doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. 
I was trying to throw uh, you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. We're going to bring in a guy now. I mean, this guy has to be on cloud nine. This guy had a, made one of the plays of the game. That Seahawks-Packers uh, uh, Seahawks game, an incredible game, an amazing game. And one of the reasons that the Seahawks are going off to Super Bowl Forty Nine is this guy. Let's bring him in now. Tackle, tight end. Great catcher, the man who made one of the plays of the game, Gary Gilliam. Gary. Yes, how you doing? How are you, sir? Great. Thanks for joining us, and let's get right down to it. It's been a few days since Sunday. You probably had to get an answer in service. How many calls have you gotten, man? Oh, uh, man, I've gotten over 500 texts, a bunch of notifications on Facebook, Facebook and such. You know, it's it's been crazy. Wow. I mean, it has to be. I mean, what a moment. What a play. Let's go right into that play. Your team down 16 to nothing. As we said, you made one of the plays of the game with the fake field goal. I was reading that the play was based upon film study on Packers linebacker Brad Jones. Take us through the play. Yeah, the play is actually called Charlie Brown. And, uh, it was based off of where number 59 was at. Uh, we studied that, you know, the side that he was on was a pretty hard rushing side. And depending on what side he was on was the play that the, the fake was going to go on to. And then um, after that, it all depended on how the next linebacker inside, you know, played me or John, whether he was going to cover me or, you know, run at John to stop the run. So it was a run-pass option depending on which way he played it. And obviously he played the run, and John tossed a nice pass to me in the end zone. <laughs> what was going through your head when that ball was coming your way? Had to feel like an eternity. Honest? Oh, it felt like forever. Honestly, the only thing I was thinking about was just, like, catch the ball and look it in. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you did. You caught the ball. You looked it in. You had a nice little celebration, man. Where Where's that football? I have it, actually, sitting on my kitchen table. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That's a, uh... Wow, I mean that, that that's an amazing play. That was uh, one of the plays of the game. After that touchdown, how much did you see it uplift your football team? Oh, it it was you know it uplifted the stadium, and we definitely feed off of the twelves, and you know just it was insane how how much into the game they got uh, you know got back into it after that, and you know then the defense went out there and had a great stop the next series, and that just kind of uplifted everything from there, and then. You know, I mean, once we got down to that last quarter, it was all about doing what we do, which is finishing. <laughs> We're talking to one of the stars of the Seahawks, one of the stars of that game, tackle Gary Gilliam. Let me ask you this, Gary. You guys down 19-7. to Morgan Burnett gets that pick with about five minutes left. Did you think it was over? Be honest. No. Okay. Not at all, honestly. <laughs> it was, you know, the character of our team is just to never quit. And, I mean, it showed. And, you know, our coaches preach it all the time about, 
you know, just give us a blade of grass and just give us one opportunity to be able to do something great. Right. And obviously we had a few of those plays there at the end, and that's exactly what, the, what my team went out and did. We're talking to Seahawks, Gary Gilliam. Now, let me ask you this. We, we saw the film of Morgan Burnett after the interception, how much field he had. Uh, did you see that particular film? I mean, he went down ultimately, but he had a lot of room in front of him. Did you look? Did you see that film? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. I mean, are, are you looking back on it? it it's almost like it, it's destiny, it's fate, just based off of him just laying down. Yeah, he could have definitely probably got in the field goal range. <laughs> but, I mean, hindsight twenty twenty. at that moment, he's thinking, you know, I made the interception, get down, I don't want to, you know, fumble the ball and give them another opportunity to score. So, I mean, I'm sure most people in that same situation would have did something pretty similar. For sure. Now, Gary, you are an unsung hero. There was another un- unsung hero in Chris Matthews, who was one of the heroes of the game who recovered the onside kick. Tell us what you saw in that particular play. You know, that was just a breakdown in, in the uh, the Packers' assignment. Um, you know, the people in the front line are supposed to, you know, obviously go at our front line and clear a path for the catcher to catch the ball in the back. And, you know, that's how most teams do it. And I guess the guy just had a lapse in judgment, and obviously it cost his team a pretty big play. When you When you got that onside kick, what was going through your head? What was your reaction? Honestly, I just looked up in the sky. I was like, "Thank you, God!" Like, there's there's no other you know explanation for what's going on right now. And I was just like, "Well, now we got to score. Like, let's you know, we've been given that opportunity and the chance to to fight and, and win this game. So let's go do it." And ultimately, guys, take the lead on the Marshawn Lynch touchdown. You extend the lead on the two point conversion by Luke Wilson. I mean, what was your reaction when you finally got the lead and you guys finally were up twenty two to nineteen? It was, I know for me personally, it was like a sigh release. Like, okay, our defense can, you know, stop them from scoring a touchdown. They've been doing it all day. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest at getting getting his team down the field and, and kicking a field goal. So that's exactly why we went for the two-point conversion, just, you right. know, the, to buffer our, ourselves in that way. But, um, you know, it was like a sigh release. It was like, you know, if they get down and kick a field goal, we live to see another day with the uh, with overtime. So it was, I know for me, a sigh relief. <laughs> We're talking to Gary Gilliam, one of the heroes of the Seahawks' victory over the Green Bay Packers, and one of the reasons that the Seahawks are in Super Bowl 49. How about that two-point conversion, man? I'm hearing it was almost earthquake-like proportions, the shaking and everything going on in that building. How loud was CenturyLink Field after that two-point conversion? Apparently, there were a few plays that, I guess, registered on the the seismic scales, but it, it was insane. You know, the 12s are great here. They they get extremely loud and, and into the game at all times, and you know for them to be able to see that live and the energy that they give us is it, just crazy. You know we see all of it all the time. And ultimately, the Packers would come back. They kick the field goal to put the game into overtime. At that point in time, what was the mood of the sidelines going into overtime? It was like, all right, you know, now let's let's finish. <laughs> let's do what we're supposed to do. Go out here and win this game. That was exactly the thought, and that's I mean that's always what it is for us. And we saw Russell Wilson ultimately go out and win the game, make the play to Jermaine Curse, and ultimately you guys win. But we saw Russell Wilson at the end of the game. He was very emotional. He struggled throughout the course of that game. But in the end, he made the plays necessary for you guys to win. What does that say about Russell Wilson, and what does that say about the Seattle Seahawks? Right. It just shows the character of him and our team. You know, Coach Carroll does a great job of preaching such, you know, finish at all times. And, I mean, I'm sure the odds were 
crazy against us at that point in the game. I think it was like 352 left, and we needed, you know, two touchdowns or something like that. And, I mean, you, you never think that something like that can happen. You, when you're watching on TV, you're like, oh, well, this game is done. But, you know, for us, it, it, that, that wasn't the case. There was never a thought that we were going to lose the game. It was just like, okay, now it's time for us to go out here and win it. And, and talk about the celebration you know, just, when you – go ahead. Talk I was going to say I'm just thankful to be a part of it. <laughs> right, definitely, definitely. Talk about the celebration after you guys won. I mean, it was pandemonium. It was crazy in that building. Oh, yeah, it, it was insane. And obviously, you know, I've never been, you know, a part of something like that. And it, and even the guys that were, you know, they, they just seen, you know, obviously you saw a bunch of people, you know, crying, a bunch of players with tears in their eyes and such. It was an amazing feeling. Yeah, just you know, to see the excitement on everyone's faces, and it, it was it was it was pretty awesome. Now, the Super Bowl is is about a week away. We're we're hearing this whole situation with the Flake Gate with the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick says he knows nothing about it. Tom Brady has said the same. At, at the end of the day, can you tell for football is regulation weight? Can you tell? Can you tell the football that you call was regulation weight? I I have no idea. I don't even know stuff like that could even go on. I, don't, I mean, I I don't even want to get into any of that stuff. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, it's, it's football. You know, it, it just go out there and play. You know, play the game. And I'm, I'm not going to get into if a deflated football is going to help a team here or there, or even if that was the case or wasn't the case. You know, it's just our job to go out there and play football as football players. <laughs> well, as we said, you have the Patriots up next. Have you guys started game playing for the Patriots at this point in time? Oh yeah, we we had a normal week of practice as if we were going to play on Sunday. So we got our full game plan in um, this this past week. Uh, had all practices and such. So if the game was Sunday, we'd be fully prepared for it. But now we get an extra week to do everything we did. You know, kind of hone in the game plan. You know, make any any corrections here or there. And you know, how excited are you to get out there to Arizona? Pretty excited. It'll be nice to to get some sun. <laughs> <laughs> And it's an opportunity going to the Super Bowl to have fun, but not have too much fun, right? Yeah, no, it, it's all it's all business while we're down right. there. Obviously, um, go out there, handle you know practice all week. We have a full work work week for for ourselves. Got the game on Sunday, you know, win that game, and then after that, we can obviously you know take a few days to celebrate and enjoy the win with each other. For sure, we're talking to Seattle Seahawks tackle Gary Gilliam. I, I got to ask you this now. We'll get out on this. You made it out of rough streets of Harrisburg. You had some injury issues in college. You ultimately made it through college. You were an undrafted free agent. You ultimately made the Seahawks. Now you're going to the Super Bowl. You started from the bottom. Now you're here. Can you believe it, man? Can you actually believe that you're about to play in the Super Bowl next Sunday? No, you know, it's it's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. You know, it's a crazy story and a crazy, you know, path that I've that I've gone through to get here. And, you know, I'm extremely thankful to be given the opportunity to do so, you know, to be able to get picked up by such a team and, and go through what we've gone through as a team and obviously personally throughout my life. And obviously to play the game of all games, the Super Bowl, you know, as a football player is, is you know, the best thing that could happen for any football player. For so sure. I'm extremely happy. For sure. I mean, you got to be happy. You're one of the reasons that the Seahawks – are in Super Bowl 49. Gary, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with Gary Gilliam on Twitter? My Twitter handle is Gary underscore Gilliam, and that's Gary, G-A-R-R-Y underscore Gilliam, G-I-L-L-I-A-M. 
and you also have a website. Where can fans connect with you on your website? Hello? Hello? Yes, you, you also have a website. Yeah. Where can fans connect with Gary Gilliam on his website? Yes, GaryGilliam.com, and that comes directly to me. So fans... Go to GaryGilliam.com and support this man. Also hit him up on Twitter at Gary underscore Gilliam and support all the great things going on with Gary Gilliam. Gary, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck in the Super Bowl. Enjoy it, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, you too. Gary Gilliam, one of the stars for the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. What a play. I mean, what a play. What an absolute play. An incredible play. An amazing play. An improbable play. And one of the reasons, quite frankly, the Seahawks are in the Super Bowl. I mean, we could talk about Chris Matthews. We could talk about Marshawn Lynch. We could talk about Russell Wilson. We could talk about Jermaine Curse. We could talk about all the plays being made by a lot of guys. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> the end of the day, what started that comeback for the Seahawks was Gary Gilliam in that particular play. That started to come back. That started to come back. And, you know, give Seattle a lot of credit. Battling, battling and battling and battling and able to put themselves in position to, to, to ultimately get themselves to Super Bowl 49 and go back to the Super Bowl. Kudos to Gary. I'm happy for the guy. I mean, you, you can't – you have to be happy for the guy because he's one of these guys – undrafted rookie free agent. Those guys, more often than not, don't make teams. Gary Gilliam did. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the guy. I'm truly happy for Gary Gilliam. Truly happy for Gary Gilliam. I mean, you, you got to be happy for Gary Gilliam and what he's able to accomplish and what he has done to ultimately put himself in position to be in the Super Bowl. Incredible, amazing, absolutely amazing. Can't believe it. And, and, and I had a steak dinner with Willie Rowe on the line. And that was my thought. I mean, dang, I got to pay Willie Rowe and his wife a steak dinner. And, you know, those, Willie can eat. Willie can eat. So I got to feed Willie Rowe and feed his wife at a, 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 a good steakhouse. A very good steakhouse. Let me read. Let me hit the bet. You are taking the Green Bay Packers. I would love to bet a steak dinner that that's not going to happen, that the Green Bay Packers are not going into Seattle to beat the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Done. Just bet. A good steak dinner from a good steakhouse. For sure. And, and we bet. So that was going through my mind. I was nervous. I was scared. Oh, no. I can't afford this. I can't feed Willie and, and, and his wife. Can't do it. Can't do it. But <laughs> it worked out in my favor. Gary Gilliam was one of the reasons that it worked out in my favor. Kudos to him, and, uh, and I hope he has a great Super Bowl. And it's hard. Again, it's hard not, not to root for those guys, the, the Gilliams and the Chris Matthews of the world. It's so hard not to root for those guys. Speaking of guys that it might be hard to root for, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. 
interesting article on ESPN.com talking about Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. I mean, according to, I mean, according to this article, they've talked to 20 Brown sources. ESPN.com has talked to 20 Brown sources uh, to talk to uh, a bunch of people on the record, off the record, and talking about Johnny Heisman, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. And it was a rocky rookie season for Johnny Manziel. And, you know, one player said Johnny Manziel's rookie season was an absolute 100% joke. And so it's crazy. They said he was a and, – and Johnny, he gave you the lip service. You know, I know what I got to do in order to be successful. I know what I need to do. I, I, I got to do this and that. And I got to be professional. And I got to study. And I got to do – he says all the right things. But his actions speak otherwise. All drunked up, missing, according to the article. He's drunked up, drunk off his, drunk off his bleep. And so, and this was a guy who was drunk off his bleep, who was out with a hamstring injury, who missed his ham, his treatment for his hamstring. There's talk that throughout the course, uh, there was times where he didn't really know the plays or didn't really say the correct verbiage. When it comes talk to to giving the plays and saying the plays to his teammates, he didn't know. He didn't know. And so, it, Johnny. And here was the thing. Here's when, when when I talked about Johnny Menzel. Here's here's what my thought process was. Johnny Menzel, as as, as long as he can keep himself out of trouble, as, as long as he can. Uh, uh, Make plays on the field. I wouldn't care about to care about partying. Everybody parties. Everybody parties. Great, small, the the the, the first man to the fifty second man on the roster. Everybody parties. There's no doubt about it. We party. Everybody parties. But at the end of the day, if your party starts to get in, get into the middle of your playing, then you have a problem. And if you're if you're partying all the time and and you're not in your playbook and not knowing the plays and not knowing the correct verbiage and not saying the plays right, then you have a problem. So as far as I'm concerned, I when they drafted Johnny Menzel, I was one of the, I wasn't one of these guys jumping around and, and, and saying this is going to be a, a, a franchise-changing guy. I wasn't one of those guys. I had questions about his pocket presence. I had questions about whether or not he had the, the – the, 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 his build, was his build uh, enough to make it on the NFL level? I had questions when it came to Johnny Manziel. A lot of questions. And so those questions that I had came true. He broke down in terms of a hamstring injury. No, I mean, that could happen to anybody. But he really didn't prove that he could get it done in the pocket. And he was, you know, one game that he started, he was an absolute mess against the Cincinnati Bengals. He was an absolute mess. And now you got the new offensive coordinator, D. Flippo, saying, I don't know, John D. Flippo, Filippo, excuse me, I don't know if the franchise quarterback is in this building. So 
When you drafted Johnny Heisman, Johnny Football, Johnny Franchise, you thought you were going to say Johnny Franchise, or at least you wanted to say Johnny Franchise. And so in the wanting to say Johnny Franchise, you may have said Johnny Bust. You wanted Johnny Franchise, but you might have got Johnny Bust, Johnny Parter, Johnny Partying, Johnny in the Street. That's what you may have gotten. Johnny's in the streets. Johnny is out there not knowing his plays. Can't even get through the verbiage in his playbook. And in, in, in the you know, in the in the play can't even call the play correctly. Can't even get get the play out correctly. Teammates talking about, you know, we were hoping that the play would turn out right. That's what they're hoping. And so, you know, I mean, and, 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 you know, they talked about in this article, you know, one executive compared him to a Brett Favre. And, and here's the thing. Brett Favre, similar in some respect in, in, in terms of, you know, obviously not the same type of fanfare coming out of college, but similar in terms of, you know, a party or a gunslinger, a, a guy who lives on the edge. Brett Favre was that guy. Brett Favre was that guy. But do you see Brett Favre and Johnny Manziel? I don't think so. I don't know. I, I I didn't see it. I was one of these guys who was mesmerized by Johnny Football, by Johnny Manziel. I, I, I wasn't mesmerized by him. I wasn't. And when you have the new offensive coordinator saying, we're not even sure if the quarterback is in the building, that's an indictment on Johnny Football. That's an indictment on Johnny Heisman. That's an indictment. On Johnny Partier. Johnny Partier. I mean, uh, here's one thing for sure. And the teammates talked about how much they liked him. He was, you know, they liked, he was a likable guy. But here's one thing for sure. One thing about Johnny Manziel. Probably can throw a heck of a party. Might not be able to throw a heck of an out, but he can throw a heck of a party. Might not be able to throw, you know, <laughs> a heck of a ball, but he can throw a heck of a party. He can throw a good party. If, if, Here's one thing I would want for Johnny Manziel. I don't think I want him to be my franchise quarterback, but he could sure plan some parties for me. He could sure plan parties. I let him plan some parties. But at the end of the day, in the NFL, you got to prepare yourself on and off the field. You have to. You're a quarterback now. You're 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 ahead of a franchise as a quarterback. People are looking at you. For answers. People are looking at you for answers. You are the guy. You are the guy. And his rookie counterpart, Connor Shaw, well, teammates like Connor Shaw. Connor Shaw knew the plays. Johnny didn't. Johnny didn't. They also said Johnny, Johnny Football worked hard in those two weeks as a starter than he did in the previous three months. They're basically saying he was cramming that playbook. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can't just cram an NFL playbook in two weeks and expect to know it. You got to prepare yourself. You got to take mental reps. You got to know the playbook inside and out because you never know when your time is up. Meaning you never know when your number is going to get called. 
Your time is your time. Time for you to step up. Time for you to get up. Step in that game. Make it happen. <laughs> Excuse me. And so, to think about Johnny Manziel now, you wonder now, is he going to go into this offseason with a different attitude? Is he going to approach this offseason and work? Is he going to work and work and work and work and work? Is he going to be tireless in his preparation? Is he going to have sleepless nights in his preparation? Is he going to know the playbook inside and out and out again and in again? Is he going to know all these things? Because if he wants to make it in this league, you can't make it in this league on talent alone. There's a lot of people who have a lot of talent who ultimately wash out and flame out in the National Football League. Johnny Football, Johnny Heisman, Johnny Manziel, is he even talented enough where he can, can, can take shortcuts? Obviously, he was talented enough in college where he could take shortcuts. He was talented enough to take shortcuts. He is not talented enough in the National Football League to take shortcuts. And then there, you can't take shortcuts in the National Football League. And I remember Michael Vick. Michael Vick talked about, you know what? He focused, and I say this all the time and tell the story, but he focused on dogfighting more than he focused on football. And Michael Vick is a special talent. And the talent that Michael Vick has and the talent that Johnny Manziel has, it's not even comparable. There's no comparison. There's no comparison to the talent that Michael Vick has to the talent that Johnny Manziel Michael Vick is, is, is much more talented than Johnny Manziel. And Johnny Manziel took shortcuts. I mean, Michael Vick, I should say, he took shortcuts. But he was so talented that he can take those shortcuts and still make an NFC title game. He was talented that he can make those and, 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 you know, take those shortcuts and still have success and still win playoff games and still rush for a lot of yardage. He was talented enough to do that. Johnny Mantell is not talented enough to do that. He is not Michael Vick. He doesn't have that talent. He never will. I don't think he's as talented as Michael Vick. But the question becomes, is he going to be willing? Because if you're used to doing something one way and getting by on talent and charm and things of that nature, if you're used to getting by on that, you know, that way, eventually that catches up to you as you go to higher levels. As you go up the ladder, what you got away with at a lower level, you're not going to be able to get away with at a higher level. It's like going from middle school to high school. You know, each level is different challenges. High school to college, another level, another challenge, you got to step your game up. And from college to the NFL, that's a whole heck of a jump, a big jump that a lot of people don't make, don't make. But Johnny Manziel will tell you how hard he worked. Johnny Manziel tells you how responsible he has to be. He tells you everything that you want to hear. But at the end of the day, he's telling you everything that you want to hear. But at the end of the day, is he a guy 
that you can build your franchise around? Is he a guy that you can call a franchise quarterback? Mm. I didn't think so coming into this season. I didn't think so when they drafted him. And after going through the season and watching him play and how pitiful he was against the Bengals, I know it's only one game, and I don't want to hold that completely against him. But, you know, when, when you got scouts saying the way we talked, quote, the way we talked about him in meetings, the kid never put in the time. He needed to study. He needed to. Study. He needed to. Let me read that again. Quote, the way we talked about him in meetings, the kid never put in the time he needed to. Studying film, organizing workouts, seven-on-seven workouts. He didn't do it. His thing would be he's going to show up on Saturdays. I'm a gamer. He showed up for practices and games, but that's about it. Johnny thought he was an NFL superstar before he came into the league, and Johnny Mandel before he came into the league was a superstar in terms of out off the field. I mean, the guy was seen at Drake concerts. The guys were seen at Heat games. The guy was seen everywhere. He was seen everywhere. <clears throat> and, and, and I'm sure guys party. Guys do party, but in today's era of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and social media, those things will be seen and sometimes heard by the masses. Camera phones, flip it out. Johnny is to look at Johnny. He's drinking at the club. Flip the phone out. Let's videotape it. Look at Johnny. He's at poolside. <clears throat> what about the different girls? Flip the phone out. Let's take a picture. <clears throat> Excuse me. Look at Johnny. He's out at the club dancing on this girl. Flip the phone out. Let's take the picture. So this is 2015. You got to be smarter. And I go back to a story. I tell a story all the time. I heard Phil Sims. Excuse me, Phil Sims say it. Can't even talk. I heard Phil Sims say it. That you know what? What Bill Parcells used to tell him: fake it. Go take a playbook, sit in a room, close the door, and make it seem like you're in your playbook. Fake it. And so that's the advice from Billy Parcells to Phil Sims. And I'll give that same advice to Johnny Manziel. You're not LeBron James yet. You're not LeBron James yet. You stare at City with LeBron James. You and LeBron James are tight. You guys are boys. You guys are friends. But you're not LeBron James. You don't have the talent of LeBron James. You just don't, Johnny. So you got to work at it. you got to work at it. And so at the end of the day, people get kicked out of this league and, and, and they're ran out of this league if you can't get it done. And if Johnny Manziel can't get it done, you're going to get ran out of this league. Let's switch gears now. We're going to bring in a guy, about to bring in a guy now who is doing big things on BET's hit series, The Game, the eighth season of BET's hit series, The Game. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of the stars, Barry Floor. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean see. anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can. 
have married women, we've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're Come capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Roxy. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> We're about to bring in a guy now who's been on the show a few times. This guy's doing big things in BET's hit series, The Game. Let's bring him in now. Actor, TT from The Game, the one, the only, Barry Floyd. Hey, what's going Barry, on? Barry, what's up? How much. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thanks for joining us. Happy birthday, man. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Oh, it's a great day to be Barry Floyd. Let me ask you this. Season 8 of game is here, man. We're two episodes in. I like what I'm seeing. What's the buzz been for those two episodes? Um, Really good feedback. Uh, a lot of people like it. I think that because it's uh, the final season, a lot of, you know, sometimes over the years viewers drop off, but I think a lot of people started coming back just to see how we're going to wrap it up. Okay. So uh, we're getting a lot of positive feedback on the first two episodes, at least. I'm I'm confident they should like it the rest of the way through. Let me ask you this. You said this is the, now it's going to be a season eight and a season nine, correct? And then it's done. Yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot. From our point of view, it's done because we shot everything already. Oh, it's all, but, it's all um, shot. Yeah, they, they cut the season like they're doing with Mad Men right now. They cut the season in half. They'll show half okay. of it now in the, in the second half next year. So it's going to be eight and eight. Yeah. So well, they'll, the, they'll call it season eight and nine, but from my point of view, it's all been one big season. Okay. So basically, when, is, when, do, we, when do we expect to see season nine? I'm not sure because I wasn't expecting this season until the spring, and then they changed it on us at the last minute. So, um, I don't know. I have to get get back to you on that because I really <laughs> – I thought this wasn't even going to air until the spring. Okay, okay. It started in January. We're talking to one of the stars of BET's hit series, The Game. Barry Floyd, The Game airs each and every Wednesday, 10 o'clock Eastern, on BET. Let me ask you this, Barry. When, when you heard that the show was done after season nine, what was your reaction, man? Uh, it was – for us to have been on as long as we were, uh, like I, I've, I always felt felt like every season past us getting canceled, you know, the first time we were canceled, every season past that when we came back was a blessing. So I was never expecting another season. Every year I was like, okay, this will probably be the last one. This will probably be the last one. And then so kind of living with that expectation and not letting myself get comfortable when it finally was over, it was kind of like, okay, so what's, where's my next job? You know, right. you know, I'm still thinking in that in that mode. But it's also bittersweet because I'm not, um, I'm not going back to work next year. I'm not going to go back right. and be with that group of people that I've gotten used to seeing on a regular basis year after year. So it's a little bittersweet. Now, you, you, I'll go back to the shooting. You said you guys were done shooting. When were you guys finished shooting eight and nine? At what point of the year? Uh, we wrapped up in December. You wrapped up in December, okay. So at that point you were done, and that was it. Yeah. So you guys have pretty much have went your separate ways. Yeah, for the most part. Um, okay. This was my first acting job, so I learned how to be an actor on this show, and I've really right. seen. You know, I go back and watch the early seasons, and um, 
I really see how I've grown over the years and how I've just um, um, practiced my craft and gotten better at the craft. So I'm I'm just excited to see what's going to happen next for me. Right, definitely. We're talking to one of the stars of BT the game, Barry Floyd. And I mean, you know, obviously the, the show you guys are done. The show is over after season nine. But to me, it's got to be an accomplishment for you guys to to get nine seasons out of, you know, just a predominantly black cast that you got nine seasons. That's an accomplishment in Hollywood. It's a big accomplishment. Um, the average, an average show is lucky to get out of their first year. You consider yourself a success if you get five years. Uh, well, really, if you get anywhere between three to five years, you consider yourself a success. So eight years, mm-hmm. nine years, technically, that's like, that's a really big deal. And that's like, you know, almost the last decade of my life with a consistent job in Hollywood, which is, like, hard to do. For sure. So if I never act again, I'll be thankful just to say I had that stretch. Right, definitely. And and, uh, to go back, you also, you talked about how much you have grown as an actor. I mean, where are you at as an actor? Um, I, I can now confidently call myself an actor. Because you, you remember uh, when when I first got this job, it was, you know, just an, an odd circumstance when I was a right. production assistant with no prior experience who was just given a shot. And, you know, I, 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 I wasn't confident those first few years. You know, I, I really I really saw myself as someone who was learning the, the craft and who was surrounded by other people who already learned it. And then somewhere in there, maybe around season four or five, that's when it really clicked for me, and I could really see myself as, you know, someone who deserved to be there. I saw myself as a veteran and not just somebody who snuck in, in through the back door. So um, I'm just really confident in my ability as an actor, more so than I was when I first started. And and, and, and that confidence has to feel good for you now that you know this this is over and now you're able to venture out there and, and, you know, do other things and find other acting jobs. Now that you feel like you're completely confident and have the utmost confidence that, you know, that you're a big-time actor. You're a solid actor. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a veteran now. And always, <laughs> those first couple of years, I felt like a rookie. How many episodes are we going to see you on this year? I got um, seven. Seven, okay, seven wow, episodes. that's good. Um, I got a really good scene. I can't give too much away, but I got a really good scene coming up with Brandy. Okay. Um, and that's the first time I really got to work with her one on one. Most of my scenes throughout throughout the whole show have been with uh, Malik. Right. So whenever I give significant screen time with another one of my co stars, I'm always really excited. Um, you know, it's kind of like just getting to try out my 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 craft with someone else because you know. Working with one person consistently all the time, you kind of learn their rhythm, and you kind of, uh, you know, I'm pretty. I could call myself an expert at doing scenes with Hosea because we've been in so many scenes together. So, um, getting that chance to work one on one with Brandy was a lot of fun, and it was a good test of my skill to see because she's been doing this for a while, you know, since for sure. that, um, in the '90s when she was on Moesha and stuff. So she's right. really a seasoned actor. Getting to um, have that scene with her was a real test of my ability, I think. So T.T. has a sex scene with Brandy? No, no, not a scene. Come on. If there's a game movie, maybe that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking to one of the stars of the BET series, <laughs> The Game, 
Barry Floyd. So, Barry, I mean, thus far in this season, I mean, we see Tasha Mack. I mean, obviously, she's not ready to be a mother. She's a horrible mother at this point in time. We see T.T. almost as a a living nanny, if you will. Yeah, and it's – I just had a baby. um, Well, not just a year now, but I had a daughter. Thank you. So that was kind of – it was last season when we ended in the hospital with Tasha having her baby. I went home. And then my kid was born not too long after that. So that was just an interesting um, parallel. And working with a baby on set when I had a baby at home, it was just like getting, um, it was just like the timing was perfect. Like just the, the the real life experience, I was able to bring that to work. Uh, and obviously you're bringing that new experience to work, and it's got to be pretty exciting for you having a new baby. As we progress throughout the season, again, two episodes in, we see Malik and his flame out with the tryouts. We see Kira and Blue in their relationship, Jason and his situation, you know, Tasha Mack struggling to be a mother. What can we expect moving forward from the game? Well, um, as far as TT is concerned, well, really, well, as far as everyone's concerned, you have to see all the storylines get wrapped up because we're, we're closing it out, coming to an end. So as far as TT is concerned, um, You'll get to see his. You get to see him come full circle and see his complete growth because you know he's dealing with the aftermath of the clutch truck, and he's kind of bouncing back from that and picking himself back up. And he'll he's a lot more involved in in, uh, in fatties this time around because he doesn't have his own business to attend to anymore. So he's a lot more involved in fatties, and um, you know I, I I like it because he was in a very dark place last season. And I like to think that there were other, there were people watching the show who were in a dark place in their lives, and they got to see how things turned around for TT. And I hope that, and, and you know, it's just a TV show, but at the same time, I, I hope it helped to um, give someone somewhere some encouragement. You know, for sure. Because you got sometimes if you don't have people around you to encourage you, you have to find it from other places. For sure. What other things are going on with Barry Floyd outside the game? Uh, just being a dad and. Looking for the next job, and um, going and trying to. I want to get back into writing, okay? Because um, I kind of took a break from that after Purple stuff, and I'm back with that crew, and we're putting together a pilot, a new pilot, trying to see if we can get that off the ground. And I'm just, you know, just trying to take it one day at a time and just enjoy it, because you know I know something big is going to come for me soon, and I'm just waiting on it, you know, just speaking, speaking into the existence for sure. And it's when's not a wedding? question of if, it's just when. When's the wedding? Um, no comment. <laughs> You're trying to get me in trouble, man. Come on. <laughs> you got me in sex scenes with Brandy. You got me getting married. <laughs> uh, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with the great Barry Floyd on Twitter? On Twitter and Instagram, it's Barry underscore Floyd. And um, I'm pretty. Uh, I'm still pretty active on Facebook, so just my real name on Facebook, Barry Floyd. Okay. So fans and yeah, support what, this man on Instagram. Support this man on Instagram at Barry underscore Floyd. Support yeah, this yeah, man yeah. on Twitter, Barry underscore Floyd, and also yes, support sir. him on Facebook at Barry Floyd. It's his birthday. It's a holiday. It's a celebration. This is a lot of great things going on with you, Barry. I mean, you got. 
new baby, you got the game. I mean, this is a great time to be Barry Floyd. I want to ask you a quick sports question before we get out of here. The flake okay. gate with the Patriots, your thoughts on it? Uh, I just can't wait for the Super Bowl to come around so they can have something else to talk about. Uh, this is one of those, like, situations where I don't think there's, you know, because the season's done, there's not too much to talk about, and they're just reaching for a story. It reminds me of, uh, I remember when the dog thing happened with Michael Vick, and it was during the off season, and that's all they wanted to talk about over and over right. all day long. So, um, you know, it's just a slow news cycle, and I'm just waiting for the Super Bowl. I'm going for Seattle. So you got Seattle? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's put him down. Barry Floyd, Seattle Seahawks. We'll see what happens, man. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season of the game. I'm looking forward to seeing season nine, and unfortunately, that's it with the game. It's gonna. I mean, I'm gonna miss the show. I really, you know, I like the show. I'm a big fan of the show. Yeah, a lot of people will miss it, but uh, you know, it's time for everybody to move on to their to their next greatness. For sure. You no. Know? And oh, I also wanted to say uh, that during that time I was on the show, this is the show I've been on the most consistently year in and year out. You've always had me back, and you've been a big supporter, so I appreciate you. No doubt, no doubt. I will continue to support you moving forward, wherever that next big role, have, whatever it happens to be. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I know it's going to be big. You're doing big things. You're, from, you're a temple guy. I mean, te- temple guys, temple people do big things. You're temple made, so you'll be perfectly you. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. As always, let's do this again. All right, same to you. Thanks for having me. Take care. Happy birthday. Thank you. Barry Floyd, one of the stars of BET's hit series, The Game. The Game airs each and every Wednesday, 10 o'clock Eastern time on BET. Check it out. It's a new night. Before it was on Tuesdays, now it's on Wednesdays, and it's it's still getting decent ratings, still doing big things, but it will be ending after season nine. Pleasure having Barry Floyd on the show. And, you know, I'm going to miss it. Most definitely going to miss the game. The game was definitely a show that I enjoyed watching a lot. Big fan, and, and, you know, know, it's tough. But, you know, shows come, shows come, go, I should say, and, it's Hollywood, baby, and and, <clears throat> and things happen, and it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, and you know we'll see. Should be very interesting moving forward. What happens with well it's done, but we'll see what happens with the ending and how it ends. I mean, I'm interested to see. Always interested to see how the show is going to end. How is the show going to end? Who's going to die? Who's going to live? How's it going to end? I'm interested to see that, and and I hope, I hope that it turns out to be good. I really do. Looking forward to it. BT the game, Barry Floyd, and everybody else. Look so looking forward to it. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait to see the ending. Can't wait to see what happens. Can't wait to see how it ends. So interested to see moving forward. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had 
some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but I just don't see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to uh, throw you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Rocky. (laughs) That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. Coming down the final stretch. Go for it, Blog Talk Radio. Try and... To get, trying to get Deontay Wilder in before we get out of here, the newest WBC heavyweight champion. Trying to get him on before we get out of here. Hopefully we can make that happen. We got him on now. Let's bring him in now. And this was a guy coming into the fight. He said it. He said it. He said, I'm going to beat somebody's tail. He said it. He told us, and he did it. Let's bring him in now. WBC heavyweight champion, the bronze bomber, Deontay Wilder. Deontay. What's going on? What's going on? How are you, man? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing well, Deontay. Let's get right down to it. It seemed like the game plan going into this fight was you to use your length and your range against Devern. Talk about your game plan going into the fight. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Was, the plan was to establish a, a wonderful jab and um, – and perfected in the ring as the rounds goes on. You know, we was training for, for a 12-round fight, and uh, that's what we came out with. Uh, we knew he was going to pressure me. Uh, we knew that they didn't know much about me. And my argument was, how can you train for a ghost? How can you train for a fighter that you don't know nothing about or you don't know where his expectations are, where his where his limits are in the ring? You you never seen him take a punch. you never seen him go past four rounds. You don't know what he's capable of doing. So uh, we knew we had the advantage on that end. I always knew what I could do. I've been telling people for years I could do it. But, hey, why stick around? You know, I don't get paid for overtime. And um, <laughs> he was he was surprised at what I could do. And um, I stunned him real – I think the whole fight – I think I changed the whole fight in the second round when I dropped him. That's okay. that's when I changed the whole momentum of the fight. And you had, him, you had him hurt in the seventh. You had him hurt in the second. Did you think you were going to get him out of there? Because you said you were going to get him out of there after four. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely thought I was going to get him out of before four, but but truth be told, I came in this fight handicapped. Uh, the, day, the night of the fight, the night before the fight, um, I injured my left eye due to a uh, stretching uh, rubber band accident that hit me in my eye that uh, forced me to the ground. And knew I needed attention for that that night. Um, so I was blue going in, and then by the fourth or the fifth round, I fractured my hands. So um, so I, I couldn't apply much pressure that I wanted to, um, I couldn't get my full force of punch with my right hand that I wanted to. If that was healthy, you definitely would have seen the knockout that night. But, you know, I'm glad that I did knock him out because there was a lot of pressure leaning over me that people wanted to know. And um, through that 12-round fight, I gave them all the answers to the questions they wanted from me. And uh, it made it a exciting fight, and um, it made other fighters say, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble now. 
And um, I'm, I'm just happy for the performance. It was overall performing. We had a lot of viewers. For Showtime, we hit a record, you know, uh, uh, 1.3, uh, 1.34 million viewers on Rodney Four at all time. So, you know, that was that was beautiful, man. It just that just lets you know the potential of what the hell he is and it's coming back and the excitement about me and um and what future uh, holds for me. We're talking to WBC heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder. With that being said, are you the next big thing? I'm definitely am. I definitely am. I'm definitely the next big thing. I accept that responsibility. No pressure on me at all. I mean, I love this. This is my job. I'm, I'm thankful to God that he blessed me with the ability and talent to do this. And um, I take full responsibility on whatever task that lasts enhanced to me moving forward. Um, I have the total package, you know, for the heavyweight division and bring excitement and, 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 and to the people. So uh, I'm ready for what's next, you know. I'm ready for, for whatever level it is that I may uh, endure next and, uh, and and bring it bring all comers on. You know, I want to make boxing back a sign for the heavyweight division, and I think it's in the right direction. That fight right there just, um, it just topped it off. There's so many people are still talking about that. You know, it, it's it was it was a crazy fight. It was a exciting fight, and um, I'm glad I could I could uh, excite people, bring them back to the sport. And a guy that once who said he would rip your heart out, Tyson Fury, he's out there. When do you see that happening at some point? I said, I know you said you wanted Fury, then Klitschko. Yeah, Tyson Fury definitely is out there. Uh, we definitely want him. We we would love to have him. You know, uh, any fighter and all fighters are going to talk. They're going to act like they want it. They're going to act like they got the goods. But, um, you know, Mike Tyson quote will forever live on, and he said it the best. They all got a game plan until they get hit. You know, when, when you step in the ring with me, that's when it gets real. That's when you know it's not a joke. That's you know reality hits, and you're going to get a reality check. Because when it's time to get in that, in that ring, I don't play around. I don't play around with boxing. I can't play boxing. This is serious business. When I sign the contract, this is to hurt business, so I'm coming to hurt you. So when it's time for that fight at the day or that night when I'm ready to perform for all my bomb squad fans, the opponents that lies in front of me better get ready because it's going to be a side night for them. And somebody <laughs> will go down. Now, you, yeah, baby. <laughs> you had a beautiful song leading up to this fight. I sang it as we came in. Can we, can we get a little bit of that? What's that? You were talking about, I'm going to be somebody. You, you're talking about that. and You had some nice songs throughout training camp as I was watching. Uh, the show uh, leading up to the fight, all access, man. I mean, you do a lot of singing. Yeah. Man, I enjoy singing. I enjoy singing. I have my moments of singing. Um, I enjoy singing all over. Some people call me a radio because I switch it up on you. I'm a type of I'm a type of person that is um, uh, unpredictable. I can be in a, a restaurant full of people, and I'll be the I'll be the silly one to bust out, just start singing so everybody can look at us. Or whatever, but uh, I'm just a silly guy overall with a big heart, man, and uh, I just love to have fun in life, and uh, and like the people that's around me, like them to enjoy life as well too. So, you know, um, I believe that everybody got good in them; they just have to find it and um, just live life, laugh a little bit. The more you laugh, the more you enjoy life. You'll see that it's not so bad after all, because somebody, somebody in the world is going way through worse than what you're going right. through. So just enjoy and love and live life. We're talking to WBC heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder. One of those people is your daughter. I mean, your daughter is struggling with spina, di- spina bifida. She's working through that. She's going off the school. She's doing her thing. What was her reaction when you brought that belt home? 
Oh, she's she's lovely. She's um she told me that I, I did a, a great job and she's proud of me. So um I'm just happy that I could bring that belt back to her because I promised her this when she was one years old and uh and and, and look at the years pass by and and I, I'm just I'm happy I can make this a reality. You know nobody wants to promise their child something they can't fulfill it. For sure. But me to be able to fulfill it, man, it means so much to me, especially when um especially when. I, all that I'd have been through, all that she's have been through, but we didn't got through everything together, and now Daddy is a world champion. God is good, for sure. And 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 what's next? I mean, we we talked about Tyson Fury, we talked about all that, but when will we when will we see you again? I know you have the situation with your hand, but when should right. we expect to see Deontay Wilder? And are we going to see him on national TV? We know Al Heyman has that NBC deal. Al Heyman, who is your manager? So are right. we going to see you on national TV next? Well, who knows? Um, we don't know yet. It's a it's a bright future for me. Um, I'm definitely going to stay involved in boxing and, and get my face out there. Um, we're gonna right now. Uh, our main focus is is healing and uh, making letting this hand heal properly. And uh, we'll be back soon. I like to, I want to be an active champion. I want to be out in the scene. I, I want to do what I love, and I love to fight. So I want to keep my my face out to, out there. So um. Just tell people, just stay patient with me, and um, here we go, baby. Our journey starts here. I can't wait to get back. For sure, and, and what a great performance by you on Saturday night. At the end of the day, are you ready for Vladimir Klitschko? He is the heavyweight division. Are you ready at this point in time? I'm ready for for anyone. You know, I, I train hard. I train, you know, I, I train as if I was already a champion trying to keep my belt. You know, they say the, the easy part is – becoming a champion, but the hardest part is, is staying the champion because everybody hungry. Everybody want to feel that glory and that fame. But uh, but the thing about me, I always trained as if I was already a champion trying to keep my belt. So um, for, for for us being ready for anybody, I'm ready for anybody. You know, uh, we're going to take this, the, the right steps. Um, I'm going to listen to my team thus far. That's the thing about my team that is so powerful that we all agree on the same things. It's no one is better than the other will have a bigger say so than other. We all come to uh, sometimes, of course, when you have a family, you're going to disagree to agree. But at the end of the day, we all come around and agree on the same thing. And, uh, and we're going to see what's next for my career and my future. You know, it led us all to thus far. I'd have been successful in it. And uh, we're going to see what's next. But um, I promise people at Simon Fights and I promise to, to stay on top and uh, we're going to do that. So we, we're going we're gonna to see what happens. I know a lot of fights that people want to see, and a matter of time, uh, a certain time they want to see it, and I just tell people to stay patient. All the fights are going to get made. It may not get made at a time or day that you want it, but it will be done. Fans, support this man. Go to his website, DeontayWilder.com. Hit him up on Twitter at the Bronze Bomber. Deontay, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. It's great to have an American heavyweight. It's great to have an American heavyweight who is good and has some personality, man. I'm looking forward to it. Do big things. Let's do this again. Yes, sir. And all blessings, baby. Have Take a great care. Bye-bye. Deontay Wilder, WBC heavyweight champion. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at goforitgant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Great show today. Look forward to bringing it to you next weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.